I was, uh, oh, I think I left it on the front bench there. I was at a performance this week. How many of you have gone to some sort of Christmas performance in the last little while? More than one, probably, for some of you. Um, I was at a Christmas performance of um, our son is in uh, a vocal jazz group, and uh, they were singing songs, and they sang a song at the end of their vocal jazz, and I thought I'd play a little clip of it for you, but this is not them performing it, it's someone else. guess what movie that is? Preacher's Wife, says this whole section. Uh, nobody over here. Okay, yeah, it's the movie The Preacher's Wife, and that Preacher's Wife movie is a very special one for me personally because it was the very first movie I saw with my wife. Now, she wasn't my wife at the time. Uh, we were actually out with a group, and we decided to go to this movie, and uh, I was already very interested in Marnie, and uh, we're watching this movie, and it's all over, and we enjoyed the movie. And, you know, it's got Denzel Washington as a, as a sort of messed up angel, and then you've got uh, Whitney Houston leading the choir, and this other guy, the pastor of the church, whatever. A long story. But we enjoyed the movie, and as we're walking out of the theater, my wife had her little ticket stub from the movie, and she just tossed it in the garbage. And that, she was ahead of me walking out. Now, she wasn't my wife. We weren't dating, but I was very interested and I reached down and I grabbed it out of the garbage and I put it in my back pocket and I thought, that might come in handy someday. <laughs> and it was about two and a half years later, I, I'm guessing on the timeline, I don't know if I have that quite right, that uh, I, we were on a ski jump in Olympic Park in Calgary in the season where there's no snow and we were just up there by ourselves and overlooking the lights of Calgary and uh, I pulled it out of my pocket. And I said, uh, you know, would you like to be the preacher's wife? <laughs> and uh, there was a ring too. I wasn't that cheap. I, some of you are thinking, Steve is just saving money. Steve is just saving money again. Anyhow, I always thought it was a good plan because if she had said no, I could always just, you know, push her off. Anyhow, um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. 
This, by the way, in case you're wondering if this is the actual one, this is uh, not the actual one. It's scrapbook somewhere. This is a ticket stub from The Last Jedi. And uh, yeah, I went with a couple friends this week from the church, and I won't spoil the movie for you, but it's no preacher's wife. Let's just say that. <laughs> Anyhow, we've been talking about being caught off guard. And uh, caught off guard, you know, sometimes we talk about how, how, you know, have you ever opened a present? I mean, for my wife that day to see her ticket stub from a movie that way back when, when we weren't even dating and she wasn't even sure if I was interested. I think that was one of my most favorite moments of catching someone off guard with a present. Have you ever been caught off guard? Just totally, like, in a good way. Blindsided, you open a present maybe at Christmas and you go, "Whoa, that's more thoughtful. That's more. That's more uh, than I ever thought it would be. That's more. Uh, that's a better present than I ever thought it would be." Uh, you know, it, sometimes do you ever like to downplay a present, like put it in sort of shabby wrapping paper, or really just wrap it in newspaper, or just throw it in a plastic bag? But then inside, it's amazing, right? You sort of lower the bar, and then boom, jump over that bar, no problem, right? It's uh, it's fun. Surprise is, is a wonderful, fun thing. And we've been talking all through Advent, we've been talking about being caught off guard by all sorts of different things. And uh, today we're going to add one more. But in order to do that, I'm going to ask Nolan Barkley and Perry Jacobson to come, and they're going to be our Advent readers for today. So you guys welcome them. So Jesus is coming, shout for joy. <laughs> joy is a word we see and hear everywhere at Christmas. Joy to the world is the message of the season, and joy is the theme of this day. Two weeks ago, we lit the prophecy candle and remembered those who first spoke the promise of the coming Christ child. Last week, we lit the Bethlehem candle, a symbol of the preparations being made to receive and cradle the Christ child. See, Advent is awesome. It's always about anticipation. <laughs> okay. Can you hold it? Yes. Sorry. Technical difficulties. <laughs> the third candle on the Advent wreath is called the Shepherd's Candle. 
It remembers the uh, first line of uh, er <sighs> Sorry. It's the shepherd's candle. It remembers the first in a long line of people who shared the good news of the Savior's birth. This candle reminds us that the, our long period of waiting is half over. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But God said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who had heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they heard, heard and seen, which are just as they had been told. Three candles burning bright, chasing away the darkness from light. Three candles glowing bright, the blessing of God giving you sight. All right, great job. Thanks for leading us in that. Um, so this shepherd candle is what we've lit this week. And um, of course, you've heard the reading now. And... Uh, Let's just talk a little bit about the joy of the shepherds. We see that the shepherds, oh, I'm letting it out of the bag, so I may as well start. The word we're talking about this week is it's either joy or jam, right? Right now you know. <laughs> joy. Oops. Now it's my turn to have challenges. Technical difficulties. All right. Here we go. The word is joy. Okay. Of course, that's the song Whitney Houston was singing, and that's the verses that we we're reading. Um, the big line in there is good news. Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will, go, that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in a cloth and lying in a manger. And then it goes on, the angel says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So you can see the joy of the shepherds in some of their responses, right? You see that they, they hurried off, they dropped what they were doing. I, I don't know how that worked. Like, you know, just do sheep take care of themselves? Or did they get someone else to fill in for them? Or I don't know how hurried they were. But it says they hurried off. 
So they were in a rush uh, to, this news had, had changed their agenda, changed their schedule. They really uh, were all about now, this great news. They hurried off to see the baby. Once they saw the baby, they spread the word about the angels and the child. And then they returned later, probably to their job, taking care of sheep, praising and glorifying God. Now, this is the premise of pretty much everything I'm going to say this morning, is that they had joy because of what they believed. They had joy because of what they had come to believe. And what had they come to believe? Well, it was the message of the angels. The Savior had been born. Peace had been promised. Because of the Savior being born, peace had been promised to those on whom his favor rests. And if you're the shepherds who have angels suddenly appear to you with blinding light, the glory of God shining, and then later that angel is joined by an incredible large host of others, you think, maybe, just maybe, because the message came to us, we could be those ones that the angels are talking about. We could be those ones who God's favor rests upon. Now, this is a pretty remarkable thing, that this message would come to uh, shepherds. Shepherds were, were poor, generally. They lacked prestige in their day. Um, they might not have owned the sheep that they were taking care of. Um, and yet, they're the ones who get to witness this greatest announcement. The message didn't go to the halls of royalty. It didn't go to Herod's palace. It didn't go to the aristocracy. It didn't go to the, the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't get this message. It was shepherds. It was shepherds that received the message. And you've got to believe that as they received that message, they thought this message is not just a message for us to take, but it's a, a message for us as well. And so there was both aspects to that, that they have been, uh, they had this uh, potential of God's favor raising, uh, resting on them. And so what they came to believe brought them great joy. And also what they were given to take brought them great joy. Right? God has trusted us to bring this message of great joy that's for all people to others. Up until this point in my life, I've been trusted with sheep. It's not bad. It's a living. But now I've been entrusted with the miracle, the wonder of what God wants to do for all people in all time. What an incredible thing. The good news about Jesus produces joy in people. And why does it produce that joy? Because it shows them that God desires reconciliation with people. That God's desire through reconciliation is to be for them and not against them. That he invites us to be reconciled to him, to lay down our rebellion and disbelief and instead turn to him in love and trust. So we see what the shepherds believed produced joy in them. But now let's just speed right up to the modern era, to where we live. What about the people who've received this message of joy today? What is the effect on them? What is, what is, the, what is the effect that this same message that was delivered then, what is the same message for us today? And I think the Apostle Paul does a really amazing description of this effect, this joy effect in the lives of people today. But he still wrote this thousands of years ago. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And that's our main text that we're going to look at today, 2 Corinthians 4. And uh, we're going to read, read that chapter, okay? So let me just read the first number of verses for you today. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this service, this role, this job to do, okay? Just like the shepherds had a job to do, go communicate this message about God's favor and God's peace and, and the Savior being born. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So, let me just try to come back and summarize. This is, these verses are so jam-packed with Incredible truth. You could just spend hours on them, but I'm just going to try to come back and summarize. Uh, so we have the light of God that displays the glory of Christ. In fact, there's a couple phrases in here that sort of describe uh, this light. They cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who's the image of God. So you have Christ who's the image of God. And then later on, you see uh, the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So you see this sort of unseparable of even though we talk about Jesus and God the Father, but how unseparated they are, right? That, oh, it's the glory of Jesus, which is the glory of God. And it's the glory of God, which is the glory seen in Jesus. You know, it's just sort of back and forth, right? This is all intermingled. Um, so there's this light of God that displays God's glory, his greatness. And it's veiled or it's hidden. It's hidden. It says it's hidden to those who are perishing. Well, how is it hidden? It says their minds are blinded. Their minds are blinded so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. I've been listening um, to C.S. Lewis' screw tape letters on just, I have a, a CD copy of it and I'm just playing it in my van. And it's all about, it's, has anyone ever read the screw tape letters or heard of them or you vaguely familiar, you know what they are? Okay, so C.S. Lewis dedicated this book to J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, right? So C.S. Lewis, he wrote the Narnia series, you know, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then he was good friends with J.R.R. Tolkien. So he dedicated this book to J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings, and the book is sort of a funny book. It's written as a series of letters written from a senior demon to a junior demon. That's, the, that's how it's worked. It's called the screw tape letters. So the, the, the main guy is screw tape, and he's writing to, I think it's Wormwood. So screw tape is writing to Wormwood, and he's telling him how you can tempt and divert and destroy the lives of human beings. So it's a weird book, right? Anyhow, I'm listening to it on audio. Here's the thing. It's not just being blinded. It's sometimes just being distracted. 
that prevents us from seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. Sometimes it's just like we, 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 we have an opportunity to, to think about God and to think about what he's done for us through Jesus. But then it's like, zing, zing, oh look, a squirrel. Right? Or I'm hungry. Or, you know, I... You know, this is really important stuff. I better come back to this after I have a full stomach. And you never do. And so in the, in the screw tape letters, he's, he writes this letter, and it's sort of always disparaging when it talks about humans, right? Uh, you know, it's basically saying, they're so easy to divert. They're so easy to distract. They're so easy to confuse. All you have to do is this, 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 and talk about all these different strategies about how to get people from not seeing this truth. Anyhow, that's a, it's sort of a fun book, and I'm, I'm really enjoying listening to it. But back to the, re, the reality here. We have the light of God that displays the glory of Christ, and people's minds are blinded to it. They can't see the light of the gospel. But here's the good news. God can make it shine in our hearts. God makes it shine in our hearts. The light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of of Christ is sort of the focal point of his glory. And God has entrusted us with this treasure to enrich the world. So let's go back to that big phrase. Let me read it to you again. Let it, uh, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You know that song, Mary, did you know, right? That your baby boy would, na 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 etc. And all the different things that the baby would know, right? That Mary should know, right? That she didn't know, maybe she should know, maybe in the future she would know. Interesting song. But even as the shepherds come to the manger and they see, oh, it is a baby in swaddling clothes, just like we were told, in a feed trough, which is surprisingly unexpected. But what did they see? Did they actually see like, you know, like old paintings are made that there's the Christ child with a halo over his head. And of course, Mary and Joseph have a halo, you know, bigger and Mary's is pretty big too and Joseph's is sort of small. Anyhow, was it like that? Was it like classic paintings? Did Jesus face radiate light like Moses' face did in the Old Testament when he'd been in the presence of God and so that they had to, he had to put a veil on. People were saying, no, veil your face. It's too much to see the glory of God that's actually radiating from your face. Was it like that? I don't, I don't think it actually was that. I think we're talk, what we're talking about here is that when you see Christ, when people saw Christ in all the different aspects of his life, of this God taking on human flesh, you suddenly get to understand a whole bunch of things about God that you didn't understand before. You understand something about God's willingness, the, the lengths that God would go to reconcile people to himself. The lengths that God would go to reconcile people to himself. You sometimes say, well, you know, God is far off and distant and arms crossed and sort of almost hoping that we don't get right with him because he just really is all about wanting to punish, and, 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 and that's who he is, right? The angels 
come to the shepherds and they say, this God wants to bring peace to everyone and he wants his favor to rest on them. That's his desire. Scripture tells he's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance, all would come to reconciliation, all would come into relationship with him. That that's his desire. He's not, withhold, he's, not, he's not withholding it from us. We often withhold ourselves from him. But that his desire is for reconciliation. So you look at Jesus, the face of Christ. You see him as a baby. You see the, the, the humility of God, willing to... to humble himself. It gives us an example, but it also makes us trust him. And then you see Jesus growing up, and you see how he lived, and, and how he, he endured hardship for our sake. Rejection, betrayal, ultimately death, crucifixion. And bit by bit, you see the character of God in all of that. And you say, oh, oh, God's character is like that? It's that good? He really desires relationship with me that much? He really loves me that much? And so we say, he's made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. When you look at Jesus, I would say that if God had a Facebook page, his profile picture would be Jesus because it's the best picture we've ever got of God. I mean, there's all sorts of great pictures in the Old Testament the tabernacle and, and a, a pillar of fire and all these different things that would sort of go, oh, God's like that, God's like that. But then you suddenly have Jesus and you're like, wow, that's way better. Wow, that's way better. This was worth waiting for. This advent, this arrival, uh, it's incredible. We're starting to see the character of God and who he is and his desires for us, his plans for us, his love for us, and it's amazing. The verses go on to say, we have this treasure. What's, what's the treasure? The knowledge of God's glory. The knowledge of who he is and what he wants for us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, let me just get my present out this morning. Every week we get to open a gift. It's so much fun. Do you want to know what my mom gives us for gifts every Christmas? Every Christmas, every Christmas, every Christmas, she gives us a dinky flashlight. Kids, grandkids, there's about 30 of us in all, so I guess this is economical, but we all get a dinky flashlight, and us adults who've been getting dinky flashlights since we were kids, we put them in the emergency drawer, and we're like, okay, got it, thanks, Mom. And, but the kids, they have so much fun with these flashlights. They really do. It's not, much, it's not much to them, but they really enjoy them. So I'll just put the dinky flashlight here. But I got, I got another flashlight. It's not much bigger, but it's, it's better. I think it's LED, so it's got a little bit more punch. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Should have. Okay. It's got a lot of punch. Okay. For a little flashlight. Okay. See that? See that? Oh, now you can be just as blinded as I am. Okay. So flashlights are fun. But a flashlight's purpose is really not to, um, is, is, a flashlight's not really about itself. A flashlight is about shining light on other things. So if, if you, if you uh, turn off all the lights in the house after you get your flashlights from grandma, uh, then you can go through the house and you can sort of rediscover the house in the dark. 
it's really cool. And all the kids are running around with flashlights and all the parents are like, how long do we have to put up with this before we can turn the lights on, right? And, but it's fun. You get to see things. You're like, oh, look at the music stand. Oh, look at that. Look at this. And you're, you're exploring all over the place. And you can do fun things with flashlights. Like you can tell ghost stories with flashlights. That's fun. And uh, you can make like a big fort out of, out of uh, blankets and chairs. And then you can go into the fort. And the flashlight is like your room light inside your little tent thing. And uh, it's so much fun. But the point of a flashlight is not itself but what it illuminates. And it's an awful lot like what it, Paul is describing in this passage. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Do you know that the jar, jars of clay is what they hid the Dead Sea Scrolls in? Dead Sea Scrolls, you know what those are? So, there's, so people often wonder, can I trust the Bible I'm reading? So many scholars have copied and recopied it, even by hand through those years, that I don't think it's very reliable. Well, Oh, look at that. Jesus, is that you? <laughs> I, I hear music. Maybe you don't. Just, it must be just special, just for me. Just for me. I'm, just, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Yes, only pastors have these kind of spiritual experiences. <laughs> Anyhow, the, these jars of clay were discovered, and this is, so people go, well, do we have accurate, you know, look at those Old Testament books. Those were written thousands of years ago. Do, are they accurate? Do we have accurate copies of those today? And people found these scrolls, and they dated them, and they found out they were, you know, super, super old. And then they opened them, and they found copies of Isaiah and all these Old Testament books. And as they're reading them, they're going, this is exactly the same as what we got today. And it was a great thing because it was just affirming that, hey, that, those scholars did a great job. God obviously had his hand on that process because we have really accurate versions of, of those original texts. But you know what? The treasure is not the jars. The treasure is what's found in the jars. You can make a clay pot to store something, but that's not the treasure. Clay pots break. They're not a permanent thing. But imagine if you had a clay pot, just sort of basic and sort of boring, and you open it up, and then inside you pull out an incredible treasure. And you go, oh, wow, this was in that? This was in that? And that's so common. It's just dirt. It's made out of clay. And yet that, wow, now that's a treasure. It's sort of like the flashlight. Well, this is pretty common, but... What can I see with it? Wow. It's cool. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. What we proclaim that is really good news is not that we are great, but God is great. We don't proclaim that we are some sort of group of people that never have troubles, that we got life all figured out, that we've got just everything tickety-boo and all in the line. Listen to the description of us. It says we're hard-pressed. That's not a really great selling feature, you know. Come join our group. We're hard-pressed. I'll, I'll just read all the negatives, then I'll read all the positives, so I won't read it like it's written there. We're perplexed. Christians are hard-pressed. They're perplexed. We're persecuted. 
Come join us. You'll really like Test, test. Good. We're hard-pressed. We're perplexed. We're perse- persecuted. We're struck down. This is just... Every, this, everybody experiences these things. So to say to people, hey, you should come follow Jesus because then you won't experience any negative things in your life. Those things will all clear up. That's not true. That's not accurate. But it's the second side of the equation that we proclaim. So let me read it again. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. See, here's the thing. Is the external, the things that are happening to us, The external, the things that are happening to us, are the kind of things that happen to everybody. But the internal, the good news, the, the good news about Jesus is he does a work inside that changes the outcome. It doesn't always take away the circumstances. I mean, God can take away circumstances, but that's not always the case. In fact, many times, the way that the light shines the brightest is when the circumstances don't go away. What is joy? What is joy? I read a bunch of definitions. They were really good. Long ones that smart people thought up. And um, at the end of it, I thought, joy is pretty much what you think it is at its most basic level. Some people would say happiness or being glad or, or something like this. But, you know, joy, it doesn't have to be really complex. But do you have joy in something that endures when you're hard-pressed, when, cru- when you're perplexed, when you're persecuted, and when you're struck down? I think that's the big question, right? Sometimes we say, well, happiness comes from things that happen. Happiness happen, right? So things happen, circumstances, and they're good circumstances, so we're happy. But is there something that's so bedrock solid that does unchanging in our lives that cannot be taken away from us that can put an enduring sense of well-being within us, of joy within us. Well, this is what the shepherd's message received. The fact, they they received that message it's it's the message that we've received as well. Listen to how it gets a little worse before it gets better. Listen, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Remember, jar of clay. Now, imagine that the jar of clay has light in it, okay, because it's a little bit of the metaphor, so you can't see the light, but then you open the lid, and you see this brilliant light coming out of it, and you go, wow, that light is amazing. It's just in a clay pot, but it's amazing. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being 
given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Okay, let's just stop here. So this sounds really like, okay, some people who are these jars of clay, these followers of Jesus, experience death. But it's not purposeless death. Even though you say, well, that's horrific or horrible or terrible or why were they killed? The death of a believer is never purposeless. God says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's always purposeful. Because God is working purpose out of every single aspect of our lives. He's always working for good. God works for good to those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. And the good that he's working out in our lives is, is many-faceted. One of the facets is conforming us to the image of Christ. That's what the next, if you, I was quoting Romans 8.28, Romans 8.29 tells us that part, that God wants our character to become like Jesus on the inside so we can love like Jesus, so that we can be humble like Jesus, so that we can serve like Jesus, um, so that we can stand courageously like Jesus for the truth, et cetera, et cetera. All those things that we find hard to do, God wants to change our character in us. That's how he's working good out of our lives in all sorts of situations. So one of the best ways for a jar of clay to show its light is when it gets broken. I talk about taking off the lid, but let's be honest. When you want to see joy in a life based on something that cannot be taken away, you need adversity to show it. If someone says, I'm so happy in Jesus because I'm filthy rich, my family is perfectly well behaved, and uh, I've got everything I could possibly want. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Job who had that scenario. Filthy rich, awesome family, had everything and Satan comes to God. This is the, the story that's told in the book of Job. And says, Job, and he says, God says, look at my servant Job. He, he loves me. And he says, well, he wouldn't worship you if all that stuff was taken away. If all of that was gone, if everything that's shakable, if everything that's removable, if anything that could be lost was lost, he'd curse you. He'd curse you. Of course, the takes you about 50 chapters to find out how it all goes in the end. Joy in Jesus. Again, joy, I think joy, when we talk about joy in Christ, it's something, it's because it cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken away. Let me just read you a description. I'm going to just do the summary of the verses we've been reading. People who are deeply satisfied with joy in God through Jesus do not lose heart. That's said twice in these, this chapter. They don't try to trick or manipulate people or deceive them because they don't need to, right? They, they, they just trust God. They don't proclaim themselves as the answer that people need, but they proclaim Jesus as the answer people need. People who are satisfied with joy in God through Jesus, they become servants to others for Jesus' sake. They recognize this thing. They say, you know what? The experience that I have that's these crazy verses about death in the body. These experiences I have where I'm dying to myself or I'm dying inside or I'm, I'm experiencing this death to myself, it's for the life of others. One of the most chilling statements I heard in the last, 
uh, year or two was uh, a pastor, and he said, the gospel always means death to the giver, but life to the receiver, just like Jesus. Ooh, that was pretty heavy when I heard it. But I thought it's pretty accurate. Here's the thing. God has made us so undeservedly rich in him when he gives us his eternal life, when he gives us his, his unremovable presence, when he gives us his, all that he has in who he is, when he gives us himself, he makes us so rich that no one can ever make us poor again. And I'm not talking about money. He makes us so rich in him that nothing, not hardship, not persecution, not physical infirmity, It's possible to have a joy rooted in God that cannot be removed. And the best window to see if that joy is there is affliction. Are you going through a hard time? It'll, it'll, it'll be a window. And you'll be able to look in. You'll be able to see in your own heart. Others will be able to see that. But that's what we're called to. We're actually called to be those windows for other people so people can say, well, you're going through something very hard. You're going through something very difficult. So you must not be happy. And the, the revelation of the light, of the glory of God, is, as it's written in this passage, is that they'll see a joy that's there that's not dependent on those circumstances. Let me read it some more here. It says... Is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Your joy is dependent on what you believe. It's dependent on what you really believe. That's where your joy lies. The shepherds really believed the message of the angels. So they hurried and they ran off and they were excited and they praised God and all these things naturally came out of them because they believed. Because we know, here we go, we know, this is the thing to believe. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. We know that. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. I remember talking to my dad. He passed away this summer. And I remember talking to my dad about a year ago, a year and a half ago, and just how nonchalantly he said, well, yeah, I'm getting pretty old. I'll probably be with Jesus soon. And, you know, just seemed pretty content with all that and happy. And I thought, wow, this really is a, a living hope that he has. This really is something that is just so solid in his life. He's like, yeah, I can be with Jesus soon and life will be easier. And with him, obviously, and, you know, miss you guys. But, you know, that's just gonna, how it's going to go down. I'm like, whoa. That's how it's meant to be. Know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. And all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Followers of Jesus are people for others. We are people for others. And God makes us that. He makes us rich through Christ so that it isn't unjust to be people for others. When people mistreat us, it isn't like there's great, some great sense of, oh, we've been unfairly treated when you look at the grand scheme of things. We have joy when we look at the grand scheme of things because we know we've gotten way more than we deserved. 
We've gotten way more than we deserved. I remember when I used to travel with this drama team on Life Force, and anyhow, long story short, way back in the early 90s, there's this guy on my team named Glenn Levy, and every time I complained, every time I complained, I'd say, man, these van rides, man, the schedule, man, the billets I stayed with, he would say, Steve, we haven't suffered enough. And he said it with a smile, and I'd just be like, okay, I've heard the gospel, you're right, you're right. You're absolutely right. The suffering I've, expe- I've experienced is so small compared to how Jesus suffered and died for me. The injustices I've experienced are so small compared to the injustice that, what, that came against Jesus because of my sin. All the things that I'm griping about, oh my goodness, I do not understand the gospel. Here I am going to convey the gospel to other people, but I need to live it in my own life, and part of that is I need to turn my griping into joy. I need to begin to praise the Lord and live with gratitude. You're right. And Glenn was there all year telling me, Steve, you haven't suffered enough. (laughs) I was like, oh, man, I wish he wasn't so right. I wish he wasn't so right, but he was. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's that phrase again. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen to this part. It gets even more powerful. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Oh, so these people weren't afflicted much? No. Families were being torn apart, imprisoned. Christians were being killed. They were, they were, their, comp, their property was being confiscated by authorities, never to be returned. They were losing their wealth, their prestige. They were losing their status. They were losing their health. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their lives. And they say, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, on, what is unseen. For, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So people who are deeply satisfied with joy in God through Jesus, they know that all that's a surpassing power is from God and not from them. They know even if they're outside, on the outside they're being attacked, inside they understand that God is there to to maintain them, to help them be resilient and joyful. And even if they're given over to physical death, they know that that is so that God's eternal life can be revealed to others. They know that the one who raised Jesus will raise us with Jesus. And they know their lives are for the benefits of others, specifically so that their thanks, other people's thanksgiving will overflow to the glory of God. For their eyes are on the eternal, not the temporary. What you believe will be the source of your joy. And what you believe about God is the surest source of joy. My wife and I are foster parents. We've just done this for a few years. I know lots of you have probably done it for longer or, or experienced it. In deeper, we, we sort of dabbled in it for a few years. And um, just recently, our, 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 our newest one, seven-month-old cutie, uh, needed a diaper change. So 
I went into the, you know, the zone. <laughs> My wife changes most of the diapers, and I occasionally change one. So I'm in there with her, and I'm, you know, being friendly and, and trying to be fun and making faces, and she's crying a little bit, and I thought, okay, but she'll be happy once her diaper's dry. And uh, so I'm, I'm changing. Oh, man, was this a messy diaper. This was not, you know, this was the full experience I was having. Anyhow, like, I mean, I did a half a tub of wipes just getting through this one. Anyhow, so I'm, I'm cleaning, and, I, and I'm trying to, you know, maintain the general cleanliness of the area, you know, because it can get on you and other things. And I'm, I'm trying to do this thing as best I can, and I wish I had four arms instead of just two. And I'm, I'm, she's squirming, and I, I'm, but we're having fun, and it's going okay. And, and I think I'm, I'm really making good progress, and then at a certain point, she starts to cry. Like, she sort of whimpers before, but now she starts to cry. And she's really crying. And I'm like, what's wrong? Like, am I not doing this right? Am I, you know, am I wiping too hard? And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, like, a little nervous about all this. Anyhow, my wife comes in and she says, oh, she's crying because her head is on, there's a wood frame around the change table. Her head is resting on the wood frame. And I was like, oh. So we just moved her about four inches and she's fine again. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Now, what is she thinking? Not my wife. What is her little baby thinking? She's thinking, that guy? Well, she's probably thinking, the redhead? She knows what she's doing. (laughs) That guy, not so much. One of the reasons we're in foster parenting is to affect what babies believe. You say, what? <laughs> babies don't understand what you're saying, and they don't, under, they don't speak, and they don't have a command of the English language. How can you affect what babies believe? Every stage of your life, you ask questions about the world around you at every stage. And at the stage of life that our little seven-month cutie is at, she's asking this question. Am I safe? Am I safe? And now, how does she know the answer to her question? She cries. She's wet. She's hungry. She's sick. She cries. And then what happens after is the scientific method. Does someone come and attend to me? Does someone cuddle me? Does someone smile at me? Or do I get neglected? Or is there a harsh response? Or does something scary happen? Am I safe? Is the world safe? Maybe tied to it, but this is probably later, is am I loved? But I think the question right now is just, am I safe? And what the little baby comes to believe will affect her joy. It will affect her joy. So some people say, well, I don't know, get it. What's the big deal about foster parenting? What, what's, the, what's the hope? Because don't they just go back? Say, yeah, 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 but they, there's milestones that you want every child to come to, and let's say even, worst case scenario, they went back and it was a bad scenario that they went back to. We want them to at least have a few questions in their minds answered before they go back. 
that will give them a healthier outlook on life than if they hadn't achieved those milestones. We're affecting what babies believe for their joy. For their joy. And God, in his mercy, he gives us the knowledge of Christ. He gives us the, the, the stories and the gospel. He gives us all those things because he wants to affect what we believe. He wants us to understand that he is for us and not against us. He wants to understand that he does not want sin, which is a barrier between us and God, to continue to be a barrier. In fact, he provides a way for that barrier to be removed through the forgiveness of God, through the death of Christ, to his taking our place on the cross. Because he really is for your joy. He's for your joy, but in order for your joy to be sustained, for it to be rooted, for it to be strong, for it to have a foundation, for it to be unshakable, something has to change in what you believe about God. About God's approach to you, about God's love for you, about God's intentions towards you. A lot of us are asking that question, just like a baby says, am I safe? We're asking a question, can I trust God with my life? Can I trust God with my life? And God, in his plan, gives us Jesus so that we can see the character of God, we can see the glory of God, we can see the reality of God who God is and his approach towards us and so that we, we not only see how to live but we see that we can trust him. And that's what God is desiring for you. He, li- he, he wants you to live in joy but he knows that joy will only come as you trust him. When that faith is rooted in trust for him it will be unshakable. And it will shine. It will shine when you're afflicted. It will shine when you suffer. It will shine when all the other worldly supports are taken away. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So the unshakable can emerge and be shown for what it is. Will you stand with me? So I just talked to two crowds. One, there's one crowd maybe here, and you've never crossed that line of faith. You've said, I've never really trusted God with my life. And I do have that question. Can I trust God with my life? Most people I know don't get all their intellectual questions answered before they actually cross that line of faith. Some of them do, get some. But I think most people, they come to a point and the Holy Spirit illuminates inside, inside of them. He illuminates their hearts. And suddenly, they're saying yes to God. They're responding to God. And I pray that's where you're at today. If you're there, that you could say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out. But you know what, I think I, I need to step forward in trusting God. I need to step forward and say, yes, yes. 
I don't have, I don't know it all. I don't know all this means. I don't even know. I don't have all my questions answered, but I, I'm going to step forward and, and trust and trust God with my life. The second part is some of you who've been walking with God, it's easy for us to get off of that path and get, um, get off that path of where the joy of our salvation sort of declines in our lives. It just becomes serving and only that. And uh, instead, we, we look for other things to sort of be a substitute in those seasons. I think of King David, how he went after another man's wife to be a substitute for joy in his life in a, in a certain season. And when he came back to God, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. So maybe you're there. You're saying, man, the joy of my salvation has really declined. And yet I recognize that God is living, God desires to have for me to live in joy. He desires my greatest joy for me to discover it in him and in relationship with him. And I actually have gone other places to find that. And so maybe that's the second crowd you say, oh, I can recognize that. Let me pray and lead you through. For that first group, let me just come back to that. Lord, you see our hearts. You see our, our doubts. And I just think of that, in that one who came to you and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh, it's so simple that we can come to you like that. We don't have it all figured out. But we want to live, we want to live with the surety of who you are. We want to live with the confidence of what you bring. So, Lord, you see my unbelief. And now I say, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my trust in you. Would you help me? Would you guide me? Uh, Lord, I'm taking just a baby step here today, but I just trust that as I step one step towards you, you run to me. You run to me. Yeah. Now for that second group, you, you're saying the joy of my salvation is diminished. I am looking for other things to fill that, that void in my life. And I really need to see Jesus again. Lord, we ask that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. If there's been a wrong spirit, would you create in us a right spirit again? If there's been an attitude inside of us or, or a thought pattern inside of us that says, I'm going to run after this and it's going to fulfill me, when we actually have all the riches that Christ provides, redirect us, Lord. Thank you that you are gracious to bring us back. But Lord, just redirect us. In our hearts, Lord Jesus, not to those other things, they would dim, they take their place, second, third, fourth, or not even on the table, whatever you want to do with them. But we want you to be number one again. We want to draw ourselves close to you and, and really focus in on the fact that you have died for us, you love us. All else is after that. But that reality about you is first and foremost. So thank you that we have that treasure. Lord, where we haven't seen it as a treasure, would you restore that? Would you restore that again? Would you bring our hearts back? You've just called us to love you with all our hearts and soul and mind and strength, and we might be able to say that needs to be restored today. So would you restore that, a passion for you, a love for you? We ask for that.
thank you that you're so gracious that when your kids ask, you respond. In your name, amen.